Welcome to this latest episode of the Steg Raw. Got James Marshall on this episode, episode 230. What a lad. And uh, James absolutely is what a lad. Host of the What a Lad podcast, of course. Here, some amazing yarns with uh, some of New Zealand's, I guess you call it finest, professional rugby players. Um, some epic yarns go on there in that podcast. So make sure you check it out. And of course, you can find James's podcast in the show notes. Whilst you're there in the show notes, check out uh, some of the offers that I've managed to be able to get you guys, such as uh, 20% off your drink Aripa order when you order online. That's 20%. That's more than they're offering you, which is 15% for subscribing. So you get 20% discount on that order. Um, so I'm just actually reading from the show notes here. Uh, Shizies, investing made easy. You'll get $5 towards your first investment. <clears throat> and that's quite a good one because uh, I also get $5. And that helps, uh, I guess, uh, put this podcast forward. Um, the uh, Drink Art Eepers, that's just for you. Uh, Modern Pirate, 10% discount. If you're wanting some amazing soap, they're... Um, rum soap that's spice rum soap that's amazing hair product i'm a fan of the uh matte clay paste but the pomade as well that's bloody amazing uh what else we got there um hmm. if you're on old uh 180projects.com.au stag 20 that gets you 20 percent off your order there that's again one just for you and i think it was stag if you're um, ordering from Mr. Max Books. So yeah, 20% off there as well. Again, that's something that's just for you. So most of those discounts just for you, for your benefit. And uh, if you're looking at getting into the share market, then uh, tap on the Sharesies Investing Made Easy uh, link there and that'll get $5 towards your first investment. And uh, $5 will go into my Sharesies wallet too. Uh, for investing into the future. So, without further ado, if you've skipped this, of course, never mind. Um, but yeah, here's James Marshall. Enjoy. There she is. Right, eh? Ladies and gentlemen, we're joined by uh, the outer statesman of the Marshall Brothers, not to be confused with the Marshall Twins, of course. They're uh, curlier and slightly older than these Marshall boys, but James, <laughs> how's how's life today, mate? Hey, mate, flat out today. Hey, but thanks for having me on. Love your work. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, but another busy day. Early in the week, as always, I'm pretty front-loaded with my week these days, so uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are pretty big days for me. What's taking up your daytimes? I'm working at Nelson College, taking the rugby class there. Um, so that's three periods for the first three days of the week and then um, finish with Tasman on Mondays and Wednesdays. Two right. So and then the, podcasts in around that. <laughs> how do the lads get to schedule in rugby class? Is it, um, yes, sir, I don't really want to do maths today. I'm going to go see James and, and work <laughs> on my uh, drop kicks. It's literally a subject, so you can choose rugby instead of um, math. So if you don't want to go down the 
mathematician route, you can take rugby as a as an actual subject. So they've got um, four rugby classes in a week, and I take them for the first three, where we're mainly on the field, and then a bit of classroom stuff later in the week, which I avoid. Nice. So, uh, what's the sort of framework of rugby as a subject, mate? Because there's so much to it. Of course, you know people think we're we're idiots, but we're very mm. intelligent beings. You're right. You're right. It is. Um, it is looked upon like that with some of the teachers as well. But <laughs> you, you do learn. You do learn a lot from the game. Obviously, um, had a decent career in the sport, which I felt like I learned so many life lessons from. I'm not quite going that deep with these guys. These guys are just trying to um, learn the skills, but um, they do learn all the nutrition. The, they do a bit of coaching on the side. They learn all the different sort of um, parts of the game, but um, the main focus for them is to get better at rugby because that is a genuine pathway to um, a career now. So um, there's been a few guys recently have come out of the program who have gone on and made a career, and, and you, you, I think you'll start seeing more and more um, kids, especially from Nelson College, it's a pretty impressive setup, mate. I wish I had it when I was at school. And um, these guys are getting some pretty good um, knowledge at such an early age. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the space goes because it is pretty intense for these young kids to be so structured and learning what they're learning already. But I think that's just the way the game's going. You yeah, mate. So I was listening to. DG Dave Galbraith, your, your brother would have had a little bit to do with him, and, and uh, Dwayne Sweeney talk um, today on the latest podcast. And, Couple of uh, lads there. Oh, crikey, are they what? But um, yeah, they're, they're sort of saying, well, especially Dwayne, that he was quite happy that social media wasn't around when he was a young seventeen-year-old leaving bloody uh, Hamilton Boys to rock out for Waikato. Like, how do you, how do you see it, man? <laughs> yeah, mate, I could imagine his social media would have been up to all sorts. <laughs> But I had a little bit to do with um, David Galbraith too at um, Taranaki as well. So he is a good man too. He's got a real cool way of thinking. So um, you're right around the social media. It's uh, it's an interesting space and I'm I'm not sure whether I like it or not because I love parts of social media. I love how you can connect with so many people from all around the world. But um, there's parts of social media which is makes it really tough for professional rugby players, especially um, the keyboard warriors and that side of things. It's it's incredibly hard to avoid. Like um, the back end of my career, I started copying a little bit more when I was when I was struggling. And um, that is it. Like you, people say, don't read it, but mate, you get tagged in these things, and you're like, oh, what have I been tagged in? Oh, oh shit! <laughs> an article of people bagging me. Awesome. Thanks for the tag, mate. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it, but. It is genuinely really hard to avoid unless you completely go cold turkey on it, which this day and age I would also find pretty hard to completely disconnect to the online world because it, it's a growing beast and who knows where that space is going to end up in the next sort of 10 years. It's all this NFT and metaverse sort of chat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty crazy where this where it could be in, like I say, 10 years. Yeah, if we're all playing rugby in the metaverse, we won't have to worry about bloody hip injuries. Talk to me about your hip injury. I've, I've had one of those. I've been under under the knife from Mr. Matt yeah. Brick in Auckland. What, what have you had done? Oh, Matt Brick, champion. He, he did mine as well. So I, um, I had hip surgery mm. on both my hips, sort of middle of my career. I think I was about 25. Um, I always had pretty dodgy hips, so that was sort of an attempt to extend my career. Um, which worked to an extent, got me to 32 and 
oh, mate, those last two years of my career were pretty tough. Um, not oh, started affecting me on the field, but it was always mainly off the field. So once I'd finished training, my my body was in bits. It was hard getting to the car, hard getting in the car, impossible to put on my socks. And I got to the point where I'd be warming up for a super rugby game and I couldn't even put on my left boot. Um, I couldn't actually reach down to put my boot on and tie up my shoelaces. So that's when I started thinking, shit, what am I trying to do playing with these <laughs> world-class athletes, um, some of the best players in the world, and here's me just hobbling, like half-assing it. Um, this was when I really knew that I should probably end my career. So then I ended up getting saved a little bit by COVID. COVID hit, which gave me an opportunity to get hip surgery, which potentially I could have come back from was the plan. But um, I got to the 12-month mark of, of my um, rehab and I was still pretty stuffed. So, And I was in, I was in um, life after footy enough of the way to feel like um, there's no point trying to trying to come back to this uh yeah i was pretty over code and trying to push my body through it so i was pretty excited to get into the next part of my journey so what was going on with your hip <clears throat> i had the old cam impingement which is also affecting the lifts a little bit but yeah i was sort of waking up on a sunday with a massive bruise in the hip area i wasn't too bad on on getting down i managed to manage it with yoga for a while but yeah, yeah. when I sort of got to the stage where I was like, yep, tick the insurance box and let's go see Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't actually know the technical terms. Um, there was a lot going on. Matt actually said it was the worst hip he'd ever seen, my left one. Um, when he when I came back the second time, he just couldn't believe how much damage was in there. So the bony growth had all grown back and was just smashing away at the cartilage and hmm. um, the range, range was shot and... Um, technical term. What's the What's the other thing I probably needed replaced? Acetabulum or something like that. <clears throat> labrum. Nah. Labral. Tears. Labrum. So I needed a whole <laughs> new labrum, which they took out of my hamstring. So oh, they made their own one. Um, <laughs> Did he drill holes and, in you and give you, get, <laughs> let the steam cells out? Yep, yep, got all that. So I did get the I did get the works, um, and it's yeah, it is still pretty stuffed today. I still can't really run and. It's almost been two years now, so um, I can jog around, but I wouldn't go for a run. I can play a little game of touch in the backyard with the kids, but <laughs> that's about the extent of me now. Thank God for video footage of you, mate, because the kids won't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I sit them down, make them watch the highlights most nights, and oh, they get a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> mate, so you said about like uh, towards the end of the career, you know, people sort of started writing stuff about you or tagging and things. I was doing some research and I found um, 2013, you were going to be going for the Hurricanes and it had a line that was, you're going to be playing next to a hard-running left wing called Julian Sevier. Um, was, <laughs> what was that like, man? <laughs> the unknown Play Julian Sevier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Going into that Hurricanes environment was awesome. It was always a childhood dream of mine, but you're right. There were so many guys in that side, which I looked up to or were heroes of mine, and it was pretty um, I was pretty starstruck going there the first time. Julian, not so much. I think he was younger than me. Um, so was I'm not sure. Were we, did we debut the first the same year, did we? I, th I think that was the case. It had, was he with you in sevens or no? He'd already nah, so left he, that. 
Yeah, I did know him because I'd watched a bit of him play New Zealand 20s with my brother. So he obviously dominated that tournament. Um, and I, I knew I'd played against him at um, NPC level. So I did know him and I knew his, I knew his class, but uh, it was the likes of um, the Conrad Smiths and, the, you know, the Corey Janes and all these guys um, going into that environment. You know, you, you watch these guys as a young fella and then you're in the change rooms next to them trying to, trying to talk code with them. It's always a pretty surreal feeling when you, when you first take your step into that changing room. Yeah, you, you should have answered one of my questions. I was going to ask you what your training looks like this these days so that you prepared for a 3 a.m. Uh, Bronco with Snakey, but it sounds like you've got a good, ex- <laughs> good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to take him on at another Bronco or um, Yo-Yo, but no, the hip is literally stuffed. He'd, he'd, have, me, he'd have me for sure. So what's wrong with the man that he wants to race here at 3 a.m.? He actually wanted to race TJ. Oh, so, TJ, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was sort of the, the middle man. So TJ, if you know TJ, he is one of the most competitive guys you'll ever meet. And after a few beers, he loves to talk shit. And he was just into Snakey this one night about that, that uh, Conrad had never beat him, beaten him at a yo-yo, which he had and everyone knew he had. And um, Conrad was willing to prove it at 3am on Courtney Place, but... Um, yeah, TJ just kept chipping away, and I think he got the bite that he was hoping for from Conrad because started to get a little bit serious towards the back end of that night. But um, unfortunately, the race never went ahead. I think it was a yo-yo, so um, no one could get the um, the timer or whatever the beeper thing you need, and <laughs> would have been a dodgy marking as well of the twenty meters. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a good night. Yeah. No, um, so I could hardly call what I had in rugby as a as a career, but sort of, you know, got non travelling reserve three times for sevens, um, with with provincial stuff. And my old man brought up old Eric Rush's. You know, it's only one man's opinion. You did the opposite, <laughs> mate, and you went and got a whole raft of opinions. And uh, t- turns out they they quite like you, James. So what what do you reckon about your career, mate? That no matter where you went, UK, Italy, Japan, people people seem to want to pick you. Yeah, it's a it's, it is an interesting one. That it is genuinely one man's opinion to get your pick, but I think there's a lot of things you can do to uh, make that person who, even if he doesn't think you're a good rugby player, he can value you as a person, and that's something that I always try to do. I always try to be a good team man, do what I can. I'm always trained hard, especially earlier on in my career. The hip sort of affected that at the back end of my career, but um, early on in my career, I was I backed myself at my work ethic and all the things that I needed to do to become a professional rugby player and become a good rugby player. So um, I wasn't always the best and especially growing up, I wasn't, I wasn't actually a great rugby player and got to the point where I just think my work ethic and stuff um, really helped me. And um, going back to the coach sort of thing, I felt like I made enough of an impression on some of the coaches, even though they didn't pick me. Like I think back to Dave Rennie, who, um, didn't pick me in the New Zealand 20s, but I guess the words he said to me was um, in the review when he didn't select me was, should I really wanted to pick you? Like you did everything you could to make the squad. And I, I genuinely was hoping that I could put your name on this sheet, but um, you just didn't play well enough in the trial, which is pretty much was real honest. And uh, I really appreciated that feedback because, I felt like I did, and I felt like I didn't play well enough in that trial. So um, that was something which sort of stuck with me for the rest of my career. And 
Um, later on, Dave Rennie, I don't know, he might have told other coaches, great character, um, I think he'll go far, things like that. And word spreads, rugby community is so small that um, you do you do the right things when you're, when you're trying to get in there and um, the word will get around and people will judge you on, on your character, not just on the field but off the field as well. So 30, 90 years ago, do you remember what sort of went through your head when it was kind of like back to the drawing board? Yeah, I I feel like I got a lot of confidence out of that, even though I didn't get selected. Um, I felt like I'd, I'd seen these guys on the TV playing Super Rugby, a lot of them. There was like the Israel Dags and um, Zach Guilfords and stuff who were already sort of playing Super Rugby. Um, Dan Kirkpatrick was already playing Super Rugby. He got ahead of me at 10. So um, I felt like I wasn't that far off and um, it gave me a heck of a lot of confidence to go back to Tasman, get stuck into it again and hopefully pick up an ITM Cup contract or whatever it was called back then and start playing professional rugby, which was always the dream. It was always just to make a living out of rugby. Um, it wasn't ever really to be an All Black. Obviously, that was the ultimate goal, but my real goal was just to make a living out of the sport, and um, especially when I sat down as a college kid thinking, is this a genuine path because you're not actually that good? But I always thought I'd be able to get good enough to potentially, you know, just travel the world and pick up these gigs where you get a part-time job and things like that. You know, the the real battler um, career out of footy, but ended up getting a little bit better than that. So very grateful. <clears throat> Absolutely. So um, I had Ryan Coxon on just before Christmas, and he was sort of Bad. the opposite. He, he <laughs> good lad. Um, he sort of got to Barbars and Twenty Squad, and then sort of thought, "Holy shit, I can." I could actually do this as a job, whereas you sort of looked at it the other way. What sort of um, had that sort of seed in your mind that I could do this for a job for a while? 13 years, not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I just I just always loved rugby. I was a, I was a massive co-head, um, loved watching games, loved sort of reviewing games. Loved, all my school books were just full of like dream teams of super rugby and things like that i used to just spend a lot of time thinking about code and making selections and all that sort of stuff um and i just it was just a dream like i thought far out imagine i remember going watching some of the teams train i just being like well imagine that as a living like getting to train with all these guys and do rugby for a job it would be such a cool lifestyle and yeah literally like a dream so um, I, I remember sitting down at college after I'd missed out on the under 16A team, which, you know, as a someone who thinks he's going to play professional rugby, should probably make, be making that team. And um, this is the school team. Yeah, the school team, Nelson College. So I missed out on that. So I wasn't one of the best 22 players at Nelson College at under 16 level. And then I thought, shit, man, am I is this re- am I really going to make a profession out of this game? Like. Surely I've got to be in the top 23 at my school, which wasn't a massive rugby school at the time, um, especially when you think about the Auckland schools and um, Wellington schools, etc. So, yeah, I just I made a conscious effort that I was going to go hard for the next couple of years. And if I hadn't made the first 15 by um, seventh form, then I would I'd can my dream of being a professional rugby player. But um, went pretty hard for those two years. Um I was always really small and skinny and weak and I knew I needed to get into the gym and um, I did that and I got pretty strong and um, 
things like that. So then things started happening for me and I started making the teams. Um, yeah, and it was just a vicious cycle from there and I felt like the harder I was working, the more things were happening and caught, sort of caught the bug a wee bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so how did Titch come along? So Titch come along after I went down to the Queenstown Sevens. Shit, mm-hmm. those were good days back then. Um, with, went down there with Tasman and um, obviously must have gone all right. Tasman didn't have a great side back then either, but um, sort, sort of caught my – I must have caught his eye and he mentioned that I could come to a camp and, um, yeah, went to a camp. Tough. <laughs> like everyone knows how hard those ones were. They, they were super tough. There was no GPS back then. Um, you were just running for days. And um, thankfully, that was something that I was pretty good at. I always had a real natural base fitness and always um, did a lot of running in my career. So um, I'd back myself in most fitness tests or anything like that. So I've probably handled it a little bit better than most going into that environment. Um, and yeah, he, he picked me for a couple of tournaments and um, then he gave. It sort of ended because he, I said that I was going to stay with New Zealand Sevens if he gave me a full-time contract for the year because mm. I'd had an offer from Mark Hammett to um, go to the Hurricanes wider squad. So that was a bit of an interesting decision. I wasn't sure what to do then. Um, and I said to Titch, if you contract me for the year, I'll stay with Sevens because I was enjoying it and it, it is an awesome game. And um, yeah, I played those two tournaments and at the end of it, he said, no, I, uh, you didn't do enough to guarantee a contract. So, um, I ended up going to the Hurricanes wider squad with obviously no regrets. Yeah, absolutely. So how, how on the seven side of things, how was contracting working then just sort of picked you, they picked a side every two or three tournaments and then it was kind of like they had a core group or, or what? Yeah, yeah, I think they had like a um, base of like 12 or something, which they'd contract for the season. And then they'd have a few fringe guys who they'd call in or injury cover guys and things like that. So um, I wasn't going to turn down the Hurricanes wider squad if I didn't have any guaranteed income from um, that sevens or any security around it. So it was a no brainer once he said that, that I was going to do the wider squad. But um, yeah, I was, I was a little bit gutted at the time. I didn't really feel like, he gave me long enough to sort of prove my worth. I was coming off for, on for like a couple of minutes at the back end of games and he would, never really wanted to take Tomasi Tharma off, which was fair enough. But um, when I was playing for a contract and potentially a career in the game, I thought, come on, mate, give me give me a chance. And yeah, you managed to kick a few goals. The old drop kick wasn't too bad. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I'm not sure of my stats, but... Um, I think it was oh, yeah, I used eight, to have eight points or something. Four. <laughs> oh, was it? Jeez. Four eight conversions. Eight. <laughs> four, four conversions or something like that. Yeah. It might have just been one yeah, tournament. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. It would have been in um, Gold Coast, actually. I remember getting one start against, uh, I can't remember who it was, but um, managed to kick a few goals that day on the Gold Coast t- turf, which was, yeah, it was an awesome time. It'd be cool, especially at that age, to be traveling the world and stuff. Um, it's a pretty cool lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. On the, on the flip side, why did you have to leave Tasman and go to go to Taranaki? Like, is it because it's so central the contracting when it comes to the wider squad, or they, they can only pick from the region? Is yeah, you- exactly <laughs> that. So um, you had to be within the region to get a wider squad. So um, Taranaki offered me a contract 
um, which had a Hurricanes wider squad attached to it, which was another no-brainer. I mean, I never really saw myself leaving Tasman. Um, loved it there. It's always been my home team. But when I got that opportunity um, to progress my career, it was the only option. So I'm glad they do it. They don't have it like that now. Um, doesn't make much sense. But, um, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome experience for me going into that Hurricanes environment, wider squad. And then the move up to Taranaki was I had some of the best years of my um, career up there. Loved, loved my time up there. It's such a cool spot. And um, we obviously had some success, which um, definitely helps. Yeah, so were they sort of talking with the Hurricanes or the Hurricanes were talking with them? or what, what's, How did it all sort of come together that they put it on the table and said, come, come play for us and you're going to go to Wellington too? Yeah, I'm not actually sure how it worked back then, but um, Taranaki were obviously under the Hurricanes franchise, which they're not now. But, um, yeah, they'd obviously worked something out. Uh, I'd ask the Crusaders obviously weren't keen in the couple of years before. They'd sort of said I was close or next in line, and then someone else sort of leapfrogged me again. So it got to the point where I was like, oh, this isn't. This probably isn't going to happen here. I need to do something else. So, um when that opportunity came, I jumped at it. And obviously, as a um, long-time Hurricane fan, diehard fan as a young fella, it was it was pretty cool. Nice. So you said you had some success there in Taranaki. What were your sort of first days like moving to the coast? Yeah, it was, uh, it was all a new experience. Um, I didn't know too much about it at all. I'd never been there. Um, <clears throat> didn't really know what to expect. Um, we bought a place, our first place, uh, a little apartment next to um, the stadium where they train and it's like a 30 second walk, which was awesome. Um, awesome spot for us at the time. Um, especially me, I was loving my code and just getting over there and doing as much training as I could. But um, yeah, loved, loved the, loved the environment. Um, loved what Tar- Taranaki offered with the beaches and the, the mountains and um, cool little, cool little town as well. So um, I didn't get a huge amount of opportunity, so it was a was a bit of a slow build into it. Um, obviously, I was behind Bodie, who quickly um, went through the ranks and became an All Black. And there was Jack Cameron there at the time, who was fighting it out with for the ten jersey. So, and we had a good battle for the first year, and then um, managed to get my hands on that ten jersey. And um, yeah, a few good things happened. Yeah. So did you get a chance to play some club footy there? Yeah, I did. I was at um, New Plymouth Old Boys. So even when I was down in Wellington, I'd drive up, do the dreaded drive for the weekend and play some club footy. Um, to be fair, that was a tough grind, but um, managed to put the jersey, put the Old Boys jersey on a few times and get a few wins. But we never won the comp, unfortunately. I think I had two cracks at it, but no, no good. And did you get yourself a shield, ran for the shield while you are there? So they had the shield when I arrived. So um, we defended it for most of the year, lost it to Waikato in the last round. But um, those shield games were awesome. I remember one of my favourite games ever probably was playing um, Canterbury. They came up and obviously Canterbury Powerhouse, um, they were favourites to take it off us. And I got my first crack at 10 in that game for a while and it was a massive game I think I pretty much got my um, Hurricanes contract after that that game for the following season so a full contract so um, yeah it was a game I'll always remember um, 
just the intensity of a shield game and the crowd at Yarrow Stadium when it's full is is next level and um, managed to see it full a few times and oh the energy you get from crowds is um, I always thought it was overrated until I played um, there with a sold out stadium it's it's next level. So what what sort of tactics did you approach at Canterbury side coming up to try and take the log of wood? Oh, geez, we're going back. <laughs> I got no idea what our tactics were, but um, <laughs> well, play what we see. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> go, go on emotion. <laughs> Get stuck in. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a shame that Euro Stadium uh, out out of action for a little while. But yeah, it'll be interesting what what the union does in the future be good to get uh, All Blacks games and stuff back back in the region. That was, that was pretty awesome to see that All Blacks match there, especially the body like chip and chase the field or something. <laughs> yeah, I remember him coming off the bench and scoring a try. Uh, I think he only got like a couple of minutes or maybe five minutes at the back end and scored that try. One yeah, of the greats. <laughs> I'd say. Um, so I watched a video of you off in Japan. Uh, Coca-Cola. You said that you didn't even like Coca-Cola. <laughs> 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 but you're wearing a um a, a snapped um stacked snapback from old Mark Jackman and Nasimanu. How how they get that on your head? <laughs> oh, is that who made it? Um yeah, so one of the boys was um one of the boys were doing uh Red Spark hats and singlets and stuff and asked you if you wanted one and they I always trained in a hat or I was always wearing a hat, always still in it. So um yeah, any chance to get a hat on that was allowed to be worn by the side. Um, yeah, I was getting it and I'd be repping it 24-7. So Jacko and Nasi had snuck some uh, product into Japan. Good good stuff. So is that, <laughs> is that a lad's hat that you got on there, there Jacko? Yeah, what a lad hat. Yeah, go buy one at whatalad.com. Good, good. <laughs> mate, that, that was a question I was going to ask you. The, the sponsorship stuff, mate, you've been going since 2020. You got coffee. uh you got hats. <laughs> how, how, is that just part of being being a professional rugby player? Is it you got to get the sponsorship in? <laughs> is this for the podcast? Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So obviously, the only way to really make money from a podcast is to have sponsors. So, um, yeah, it took a while. Obviously, the podcast game's not an easy game to make money. Uh, a lot of people expect it to sort of happen overnight, but um, once you start building the fan base and um, getting to the point well then it becomes pretty attractive for sponsors to um, start selling products on the podcast so um, last couple of months has been really good for good to me I'm starting to get a lot of sponsors keen to jump on and um, I was always pretty hesitant to put ads in because I didn't really um, you know I didn't really want to overload it with ads and things like that but I had a good chat with Mark Stafford the other day he's a good man uh, Staffy and he he said pretty much said to me, uh, "You got to why? Do, why are you so hesitant about your ads? Your ads are shit. Um, <laughs> you're not really selling the product." And I was like, "Mate, you're right. Like, I have never really wanted ads. It's like, you shouldn't be afraid to have ads. It, it's you've earned those ads. Like, you should be proud of having those ads and sell the product as best as you can." And sort of changed my mindset a little bit on them. And um, he said, "Well, if you can get ten sponsors in your podcast." put the 10 sponsors in and um, make your money like that. Look at Joe Rogan. He starts as used to start his episodes off with, you know, 10 minutes of ads before he'd even get into it. He's still the most popular podcast in the world. And it sort of just changed my mindset around it. Um, 
getting these sponsors on the podcast and made me look at it as more of a positive than a neg- negative. I always found like, um, oh, I don't really want to try and squeeze, you know, more than one in. Um, that might be a bit much, but um, if you, if you don't like the ad, you you know, there's a wee button on there which you can fast forward 15 seconds and skip, push it two or three times and you'll be straight into the podcast. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think too many people will be turned off by it, but I could be wrong. Nah, you know, and it's, it's interesting that you got that connection from Mark Stafford. Of course, you've run that segment for a long time that is an ad, but it's uh, talking about the odds and, you know, it's an ad for TV, yeah. but it's just waxing lyrically about you know how he thinks the game's going to go so yeah that's a, a cool person to talk to um and um swish have you done done a little swish for them or, or just advertising them <laughs> so i'm just advertising them but i am on the platform now so they got me on the platform i haven't <laughs> had any requests yet but um it's, it's quite a cool platform it's an interesting uh idea I, I love the sort of concept behind it getting video shout outs i know a lot of these guys well, I even get messages from people saying like, oh, can you get um, TJ to wish me happy, my son, happy birthday? I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm not, I'm not really. Like, I mean, I love saying yes, and I'm a bit of a yes man, but when you're starting to, you know, bother other people, I feel like it's, um, it's a little bit cringe. So um, I can just say, hey, go on Swish, pay your 50 bucks or whatever it is and um, go go make your son's birthday a special one by um, getting a shout out done the right way and um, yeah I think it's cool I think there's a way forward there so now I'm stoked to have them on yeah so how, how did it start I heard you on a podcast talk about how you were sort of the team bus media guy is, is that right oh yeah so every team has like info committee on yeah so every team I was in it was just like my personality they'd always make me especially as a young fella they'd always make me be the info guy and got to the point where I got pretty sick of it because you're supposed to just go up the front of the bus and try and be funny and it's just uh it's really um you know awkward embarrassing for these young guys or for anyone and me included to go up there and try and be funny about saying information about the place that you're going to so got to a point in my career where I was like "Mm, this isn't really what I want to do so I started making video um, recordings so it sort of took the embarrassment of me standing up there and I sort of switched it around and started just rinsing the other guys in the team so um, (laughs) sort of took something off myself and put it on everyone else so then everyone else was nervous before the (laughs) info about oh I hope he's not going to rinse me in this one and um, obviously had some success but Got some, got pretty good at like cutting and editing and um, creating these little audio packages. So um, I felt like the podcast would be quite an easy shift for me, and I always loved listening to podcasts. And I really enjoyed Artie's one, and I started getting to the point where I was listening to, I'd listen to all of his, and I was like, man, when's when's he going to come out with his next one? Or um, you know, who's who's next? There's, and then I knew all these guys who. Um, had awesome stories. I was like, man, I'd love to hear him on Artie's one. And I was like, maybe I should just start my own one and get all the guys who I want to get on and, and um, see how that goes. And I met, reached out to Artie. I remember asking him, like, what do you think? And he was so supportive. He was like, mate, honestly, if I, when I was setting up mine, I was thinking that it should be me setting it up. And he just said, go for it. Like, um, you'll be awesome. And 
uh, gave me heaps of encouragement, let, let me borrow his gear and um, things like that. So it was awesome to have the support of him because I felt like I might have been going into his space a little bit. And I was like, oh, this, like, especially same team, that sort of thing. So I was mm-hmm. like, um, as long as he's all right, um, I'll, I'll go for it. And sort of, um, you know, another reason I didn't do it was, you know, the fear of being judged and what will people think. It's always the big one. Uh, what happens if it goes shit? What happens if I you know, get the keyboard warriors abusing me. Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth myself putting myself out there to, you know, unlikely get too many rewards from it? Um, so I just thought, oh, stuff it. Let's just give it a go. I knew the <clears throat> average, um, most podcasts only got to seven episodes. That was the average, um, average amount of episodes a normal podcast would get to. So that was my first goal get to seven episodes. Um, and then reassess. So got to seven and then kept going and kept going. And I think I'm at about 137 or something now. So, and still loving it. Still got so many guys on my list who I want to get through. And I just don't have enough time in the week to get them all on at the moment. I'm, um, yeah, but I'd, uh, I'd, I just, yeah, I look forward to everyone and I feel like I learned something from it. And yeah, it's just a good, it's an awesome, it's an awesome thing just connecting with people from around the world and hearing their stories and um, trying to learn from them. Nice. So, like from the fans' perspective, obviously we look at rugby. It's you know two, three hour package on on Sky, and you know you you might see the odd interview during the week on on the news, and and that's all you sort of hear. And you know a lot of the guys mm-hmm. that are running social media pages seem to be very curated. Um, was there any sort of pushback from media managers or anything? Like that player agents when, when you started just having our two hour yarns with, with the boys honestly I, I haven't no I, I sort of Brilliant. expected some and <laughs> um one that I was really nervous about at the start was my um prank on Celesi Rasi I thought that one might have been quite controversial um and I was a little bit I was a little bit unsure whether to release that one or not, but um, I got no negative feedback from it. So I sort of set the line there and I thought, okay, uh, these people don't mind, <laughs> don't mind that sort of stuff. So um, that was pretty much the borderline and um, went from there. But um, I think everyone's just really taken to it. And I feel like a lot of people have been wanting to be able to share their stories as well and um, not feel like they're going to, um, their words are going to be, taken the wrong way or twisted mm. or manipulated so that um they'll, they'll be made to look like a fool so i feel like they all trust me um i'm i'll edit the podcast if they want something taken out um so that when they come on they can um, be as open as possible and um we can hear them for who they are that's the biggest goal like i used to get sick of hearing guys speak to the media and being like oh man like that is not who you are like you were in the changing room like two minutes ago like doing a some tiktok weird tweaking the twerking dance and now you're out there talking about like you know game of two halves you're like oh come on, boys. Like, give us <laughs> yeah give us a little bit of your personality but um i feel like that's what i have been able to do like every podcast i've felt like i've got at least their personality um, across they all haven't been like it's all very variables of um there's a wide variety of variety of um yarns obviously like lots of different stories um, some guys are really funny some guys are a bit more serious some guys have been talking about mental health and 
I mean, they've all been all interesting yarns for who they are, but I think the one thing that you do get from them is all what this person's actually like off the field and um, gives the, I guess it gives the fans an insight to who these guys really are and what they're like. I mean, you see the real characters of the game who um, have the stories. You hear about the guys who love the piss. You hear about the guys who, you know, are like way more serious with the code and um, don't, you know, drink and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's the main goal. I'm, I don't really care what the story is, but as long as they portray themselves to who they really are, then I feel like it's a pretty successful podcast. Absolutely. And I guess the, when you allow someone to speak for an hour or two hours, there's no way you can misconstrue what they're saying because they, they manage to correct themselves or, or really get across what they're, what they're trying to say. You know, they're not, they're not there for with the mic in their in their face while they're trying to catch their breath running into the tunnel so you know they can really get get what they want to say across hey mate yeah and 100 and a lot of times guys do actually say things that they think oh hang on that might offend someone else or um i'm actually not that happy with the way i said that or things like that which i'll just happily take out for them and um once they know that they can they can trust the trust the process and they pass that on to the next guy who comes on who might ask, Oh, what was it like on Waterland? And they're like, Oh, it was an awesome experience. Like, um, trusted him. Like he took some things out for me, which I wasn't too happy with and things like that. So, um, I think gaining their trust is super important. And I feel like I had a little bit of a run in with rugby pass for a little bit at the back end of last year where they were, um, creating a lot of content off my podcasts. Um, Will Jordan's one, he messaged me and he said Rugby Pass had eight um, articles from our our one podcast. And I felt like that was a bit excessive. Um, it was obviously good for the podcast because a lot of people are saying that, but mm. um, I didn't ever want the podcast to be like that and to go mainstream like that. So I just messaged him and said, can you tone down the um, amount of articles? Like maybe one, one, one from a podcast is all right, but it's just way too much you're just creating clickback headlines and things like that and the guy was really good about it to be fair and i don't think he's written one since so um i wouldn't mind him if he <laughs> he can start writing one get the profile back out there a little bit but yeah there's, nah, there's I, I, no bad publicity yeah. but there's also you know <laughs> yeah but to be fair i'd, I'd rather none than eight because i just think if, if i'm getting eight from the podcast then um, guys will start knowing that oh whatever I'm saying here um, is probably going to be on rugby pass and I don't mm. really want that and um, yeah so I'm happy where it is yeah so you've, you've had guys like uh, TJ and, and Artie and then also you've probably had one of the longer Isaac John podcasts and, and all those sort of started talking about crypto and NFTs mate and you know you're thinking about trying to create one what have, what have you learned so far about the NFT space man gone a bit quiet Mate, with, with all the world goings on at the moment like uh there's a big hype with old trillionaire thugs there especially glee's kaka he was chasing that hard but yeah it's gone <laughs> it's gone a little bit quiet since then yeah no the trillionaire thug thing well, they did it well to be fair they built so much hype around that didn't they and, um everyone was trying to get their hands on it but it is such an interesting space um i don't really know where it's going to go and that's the thing but i feel like a lot of um a lot of them at the moment i feel like there's not enough utility behind them to for me to buy so i haven't actually bought an nft yet i've been wanting to but i've 
looked into them and there's just been nothing there that I've actually really wanted to be a part of. Um, I look at Trillionaire Thugs and um, I guess being part of the community, yeah, that's that's cool. But um, then you're getting weapons for the metaverse, which it means nothing to me at the moment. Like um, I have looked into how a water lad um, NFT would look and I feel like I could um, potentially make it all about the utilities. So um, having events um, that all the members could go to, like might be sporting events or, um, you know, a race meeting or things like that. And just having real things that you can get um, and being a part of a community where it's actually real life instead of all in the metaverse or winning these or just the token that it is. So um, I'm still very, very early days and I'm not going to be putting out anything soon, but it's definitely something I'll be looking into at some point i just want to make sure i do it right and um, make sure it is a really cool experience for anyone who gets involved with it nice nice so you brought up the um the ggs there what what sort of involvement do you have with them oh throughout my rugby career i was massive i was i was a massive punter and um yeah spent a lot of time watching horses even even from a young fella so um yeah, I'm, I'm pretty limited in with it now. I, I hardly ever punt. Um, the kids, three kids, uh, <laughs> a busy busy schedule. I just don't have the time like I used to. But, um, yeah, I, I did always love it, mate. I, I could sit down and watch Trackside all day, um, even if without a punt on. I, I just love I love what's, what it is with the, you know, the you sort of get to know all the horses and, you know, they become your athletes and you look forward to seeing how they're going to go against each other. And I do, I do love the whole industry. And um, we have just got a, a water lad horse. Uh, we tr- uh, we pace her, which is going to be down in Christchurch with Regan Todd. So, mate, I'm looking forward to seeing that thing go. Hopefully he's a champion and um, water lad can be flying home in the Miracle Mile and some of the big races around Australasia. But uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see because I have... I have um, owned a few, and um, it is a tough game, um, horse ownership, to make a buck, but um, it is good fun. Mate, did you ever come across a Kelly Evander back in uh, around about 2012? Jeez, I, if, if I said yes to this, I would look like <laughs> no, it's, it's, it was my It was my grandpa's <laughs> horse, and it's, uh, it's infamous. It's got the most starts without a win, and... Um, it also, it also had the, the most runs in a year, I think, in 2013. So, yeah, it's 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 infamous. Just flogged it. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of the, the day before my grand, grandpa's funeral, we went and watched it race its last trial at, at Forbury Park. And, yeah, sure enough, no, she, she didn't come in there either. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a, an indignified retirement, that one. Oh, poor old Kelly Vander. <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure she became someone's pet after that, but yeah, no, it was she's she's put through the paces. That was for sure. Right up, mate. She she deserved the rest. <laughs> Have you seen much of the NFT horse racing? Oh, I looked into it a little bit. Z Racing or something was it? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Oh, I couldn't get my head around it to be honest. I I did look at. I potentially thought maybe this could be my way into NFT space and <laughs> potentially, you know find something there but um the more i looked into it i thought shit this just looks dodgy to me like (laughs) 
I'm not really sure how it worked or like who actually decides which horse wins. It just seems too much, too many unknowns for me. So, um, yeah, I left it. That, that's the sort of stuff that uh, gives NFT the sort of money money laundering title that day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, James, where, where do people find you, mate? What a lad podcast. It's absolute cracker. I've been uh, loving the, the Southland lads that you've had on lately. Elliot Dixon, holy heck. John, oh. John Hardy wasn't much better. <laughs> <laughs> Some roosters down that way, eh? Oh, they're all absolute lads. Um, I think Whopper as well. A couple yeah. of those um, Southland guys have, you know, they often come up when they people say, "Oh, what's your favourite episode?" It's often one of those Southland guys or someone, someone like that. So always popular men. Yeah, and people just search Waterlad on the TikTok, Instagram, oh, podcast yeah, platforms. I'm on, I'm on everything, mate. Trying to trying to get it out there as much as I can. Um, I guess the Instagram is probably my most popular so or not most popular but probably the one i use the most in terms of if people want to get in contact with me i've got the website as well waterlad.com um, get, get, get yourself a hat or um some, a hoodie it's getting a little bit colder so um, go get yourself one of those but um yeah tiktok's a crazy platform eh so that was something i was never a fan of i only thought it was dancing and stuff like that and just weird shit but i've jumped on it someone really recommended it to me and um yeah man it's blowing up like i get way more reach from that than anything else so um i've got more followers on tiktok than anything else as well so it's a real interesting one uh, i'm not sure how much of that crosses over to become uh listeners of the podcast but um i think it all, it all helps even if there's one little clip that gets one more listener you know who tells someone else that so I guess it's the only way we grow. I haven't paid for any Facebook ads or I've never tried um, spending any money on marketing or anything like that. It's all been organic. So I'm pretty grateful some of the guys who I've had on have um, big followings who can help with the reach as well. So um, yeah, I just, I'm just trying to be consistent with my content, try and get it out regularly and um, yeah, hopefully giving good content as well that people want to come back and listen to yeah, and uh, Jamie McIntosh retelling John Hardy saying yes, please. That surely got a few, <laughs> got a few listens. <laughs> yeah, mate, I could hear that yarn all day. I, I think I got Hardy to Hardy to tell it first, and anyone who's anyone who comes on from that side, I'll try and get them to give their side of that story. Eh? It's just there's some stories out there that it's just like so good. You just want to hear everyone tell their side of it, and oh, that yes, please video, oh, one of the greats. Yeah, it was a hell of a day to wake up in uh, in Christchurch there Saturday morning. I was very hoarse and had to get back to Dunedin. I think I had an exam on Monday, and you had just seeing on the television how manic it was down home in Invercargill. It was just like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were going for it, eh? <laughs> a few big days. Well, that's basically how the name of this podcast came about because everyone who was in Dunedin changed their Facebook names to, for example, me, Ryan Stagg O'Connor. And then I moved up to Auckland and everyone's like, Stagg, how's it going? So that was how that, that nickname came about, which is purely accidental. Oh, but. true. <laughs> well, I thought name. it was a hunting thing. I was, I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> you were going to ask me heaps of hunting questions and anyone who knows me would be, would know that I'm potentially one of the worst hunters in the world. So 
Um, I'm glad that you have kept the hunting well away from me. Nice. T- Tim Perry and, and Liam Squire haven't taken you out chasing pigs, have they? No, nah, they haven't. I remember <laughs> one of my, I think it was my first year with Tasman, we had to do um, clay bird shooting and <laughs> I'd never never held a gun and Toddy, Toddy was on the thing, Todd Blackadder and he was uh, throwing something and, you know, whatever those discs are and like, I remember having the gun and I almost shot Toddy's arm off to be honest. I, like, I shot it way too early. And everyone's like, geez, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, geez, sorry, guys. I'm pretty new to this hunting or shooting thing. So, um, yeah, not not great. Oh, dear. So, yeah, that was a, a place where things weren't going that well for you there, James. Well, like, what, what sort of keeps things going forward for you, mate? I always like to think about what keeps you in flow, things that sh- tend to show up when things are going well and, Probably if you're not doing it, things that are a bit pear-shaped. Do you have something like that, a quote or a way you live your life or anything like that? So that's a very good question. I try. I feel like um, gratitude has always been something I've tried to um, have in my life. And whether that, it, like when things are going wrong, I'm trying to look at still the things that I've got. So um, when I, if I was injured, I'd, there's always be someone who had a worse injury than me or someone who has a worse life than me. And it's it can put things in perspective pretty quickly. Um, you know, I'm out with my hip for 12 months, but hey, some guys have no legs. I mean, I'm grateful to have legs, even if my hips um, not working. So I just try and put things in perspective as quickly as possible. And I feel like it really helps with, um, you know, your, your overall happiness. I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in the things you don't have or, um, what's going wrong and things like that, or what you want that you, yeah, that you don't have. I've already said that, but I'm going to say that one again, <laughs> but um, yeah. And just, and just look at the things for what they are and, um, you know, try and be grateful for what you've got because there's always something, um, no matter how shit your life is or um, what you're going through, there, there's always something to be grateful for. Absolutely, mate. Well, thank you for your time. You know, three boys to, get up in the morning and you know more boys to handle at, at nelson college uh, <laughs> <laughs> handle jesus where's well, that one going <laughs> careful that word there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, look after mentor <laughs> yeah no i'll definitely encourage everyone to go check out what lab podcast absolute cracker i love it when you release a new episode and get something to absolutely lose it over it's uh thanks for your time there james <laughs> Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and um, love what you're doing also. So keep up the good work and, yeah, appreciate you inviting me on. Cheers, mate. We're into there. You're a lad. (laughs) One of the great.